Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Richard Redmond are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning and welcome to the program. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Welcome to Talk Money. Well, we have a program designed for you this morning. We're going to ask you your questions and some of the questions you've sent in. One of the questions that we're going to really dive into is, do I have enough money to retire? Well, that's in the second part of the program, and you do not want to miss that. That's a question that so many people ask, and it's something you have to kind of figure out and walk through. And then in the last part of the program, with all of this idea behind the great resignation coming up, or the 41% of the world population is going to transition jobs, over 90% of people surveyed and recently surveyed said, hey, yeah, I think I'm about changing jobs. This year, so the great resignation is underway. We're going to find out more about it. But first, before we get into that, we have a guest with us, Dr. Bob Dahl. I just promoted him to doctor. Did you see that? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I said, way to do it. I mean, give him credit all day long. Bob Dahl's with us. We appreciate so much him being with us. He's going to give us an update to the economy. Welcome to the program, Bob. Thank you, Dr. Shoemaker. <laughs> you, know, you know, he is a Ph.D. You know, I won't even go there. I'm not going to go there. Bob, it is so good to have you, man. The economy seems to be rocking and rolling. Volatility seems to be normal. But I've got a couple of questions for you. I hope you've got your safety belt locked and ready to go because I'm going to just lay them out for you. My first question, sir, and it's one of those questions I think so many people are talking about. You know, we kind of want to get past the COVID problem in the U.S., but it's not over worldwide. And I know you're somewhat bullish when it comes to the global economy is moving and maybe investing in overseas stocks and things. But help me out with this. Do you think that we still got issues, big enough issues, to slow the global economy down when it comes to COVID? Uh, I think there's no question it will keep one foot on or near the break. Jim, it's not going to disappear totally anytime for quite some time. We're going to sadly hear about COVID cases, I think, for months and months to come. But when we look at the overall numbers, uh, the the people who um, newly report a COVID or somebody in the hospital as a result of COVID or sadly somebody who's died because of COVID, those those numbers, certainly in the United States, are all falling over time and generally over the globe are as well. But there are some hot spots here and there. And we'll find states in the United States that have, I'll call it relapses as, as, as we see a surge. It could be one of the variants um, that uh, are, are so troublesome and uh, stubborn uh, to get out of the system. So no, it's not disappeared. It's not going to disappear. But the trend continues to be in the right direction. 
Mm, that's a great point. The trend's in the right direction. I appreciate you saying that. My guest is Bob Dahl. He is the Chief Investment Officer for Crossmark Global Investments. We're talking about an update on the economy, global investments, the global economy. Bob, here's the thought. I mean, we've gone through the last 18 months has been, uh, you know, it's just it's unique. One of a kind. It's been it's been a lot of volatility. We've had a recession. I'm not sure that we've declared ourselves out of the recession as of yet. We may have. I'm not sure. But American households, we know this. I mean, bottom line is we've got cash. We've got savings accounts. We've got debts been paid down. Your thought? What's the consumer thinking? We've got a consumer spending is strong. But is that going to continue in your thoughts? Yeah, you're, you, the, ba- the backdrop of that question you already mentioned, that is consumers have a lot of cash. They have a lot of cash. And while there's debate about the jobs market, generally speaking, more and more of us are working. And wage growth is picking up as well. So you put all that together with bank accounts that are flush with cash, partly because people couldn't spend money um, uh, last year, and even if they wanted to, and partly because the government has fattened their their, um, bank accounts with those checks that have come over the last 12 months. So you find a consumer that is in really good shape. Consumers, as you know, Jim, over the last 12 months post the pandemic, have started to spend a lot more money on goods, fixing up their home, buying a new car, buying a used car, that spending is beginning to shift now to services. I want to go out for dinner. I want to go on vacation. Can you get me an airline ticket? And so there's plenty of latent ability to spend, and the consumer is key to why this economy is doing so well. But there's got to be a but in there somewhere. I mean, there's got to be... Yeah. (laughs) What do you see as far as the... Next phase. Yeah, the the but, at least as it relates to the markets, is that growth is peaking. Markets are anticipatory. Part of the reason the stock market is up 90-plus percent from its low uh, of uh, uh, March of 2020 is we had the, the recession. It was quicker uh, than most people thought, even as deep as it was. And we've been in this recovery phase, and the stock market knew that before you and I did, and it took off, and it's continued to do do well. We are going to get very strong economic growth for the balance of this year. But the stock market already knows that, and because growth, real GDP earnings are going to peak in the second quarter, the quarter that is going to end, uh, that has ended and will be reported real soon, that doesn't mean we're going to have bad growth in the third and fourth quarter. There'll, there'll be good numbers, but just not as strong. And the stock market likes to see acceleration, not deceleration. So if you force me to talk, put a butt in, it's related to the markets, and that's the point. Prefers acceleration to deceleration. We're going to be talking about jobs at the last part of the program, but Bob, there's what do you see as far as the job market and the reality of this unemployment? This, this, there seems to be, uh, you know, it, it's not just jobs in the low income. Let's say the twelve, fifteen, eighteen dollar job. That's not what I'm talking. It seems to be a big opening for jobs across the board. Are you seeing that, and how does that relate to what we see in the third and fourth quarter? Uh, yes, there's there's no question. There are a lot of um, companies, 
businesses looking to employ people. Finding them has been a bit of a trick uh, because a lot of uh, workers are saying, you know, I used to work at X dollars an hour. I'm not going to do that anymore. It's going to require X plus. So pay me enough, I'll come, is sort of what they're saying. And, of course, we've seen that as a result of in my opinion, government checks, sets of checks that have been too big that have incentivized people to stay home rather than to go back to work. And that is residual in our system as well, Jim. But you're absolutely right. There are lots of jobs uh, out there. There are, according to the statistics, more jobs wanted than there are people looking for them. So uh, that, that says we have eventually a shortage of labor. Now, the number of people work versus 18 months ago is still down. Why is that? It's my kids are home, uh, they're not in school, and therefore I can't work because I have to take care of them and homeschool them or supervise them watching the virtual classroom. Um, Some people have decided through COVID to retire earlier than they thought they might otherwise. So you have some of these one-time factors certainly affected by this crazy thing called COVID that have distorted some of the usual patterns in the labor market, which makes it so tricky. Mm, That's a good point. We're talking with Bob Dahl, Chief Investment Officer of Crossmark Global Investments. We're going to talk with him more when we come back, but the question that when we dive in next is, I think everybody, Bob, is so aware the media seems to be pushing it inflation you can hear some people say inflation is going to go crazy uh you've got some people say oh no it's not going to be i want your take on what you see and how that really is going to affect what we should be investing in going forward for the third and the fourth quarter and even for 2022 so stay with us we'll be back in just a minute i'm jim shoemaker this is talk money This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is KWAM, the mighty 990 AFM, AFM, AM 990 and FM 107.9. My guest is Bob Dahl. We're talking about an update to the economy. Let me remind you, in the second half of the program, we're going to be talking with Scott Jordan, and he's going to give us some ideas around the question, how much is enough when it comes to retirement? And Bob talked about earlier that some people decided to retire early, so we're going to dive into the question that you've asked us, how much is enough? And in the last part of the program, we're going to be pleased, very pleased, to have Richard Redmond. He's going to talk about the great transitioning of people moving from one job to another. We call it, actually, the name is now the Great Resignation. You don't want to miss that part of the program. But, Bob, we were discussing earlier the the economy, the whole idea behind what's going on as far as uh, the pandemic and uh, the fact that that's going to affect a lot of things, and then people deciding to change jobs. But then this little thing creeps up called inflation, and uh, that's a big problem. So what do you see with inflation? Uh, First of all, this is a very, very important question, as you hinted, Uh, maybe the most important for investors. Um, 
we, we have had a pickup in the inflation rate. The debate is, where has that come from and will it last? The Fed has argued that it is transitory, meaning it's not going to last. My view is there is a piece that's transitory. Uh, when you shut the economy down, as we did, uh, you know, not quite 18 months ago, uh, you, you, you actually lower prices. We had a period of deflation, and we're anniversarying that sort of thing now. There's also some inflation related to supply shortages, where because of COVID, well, we, we, we shut down some things so that supply lines got disrupted. Some of that will sort out. But to me, Jim, there's a third piece, and that is inflation's actually picking up. We lived in the official inflation numbers with inflation between 0 and 2% for a long time, like a decade. My view is the era of 0 to 2% inflation is over. That does not mean we're going to have runaway inflation, but when you juice the economy like we have both from monetary, the Fed, and fiscal, the government, policy, inevitably you create uh, too much money chasing too few goods and services, and that creates higher prices, and that's called inflation. So we had this pickup of late. Uh, the markets are saying, ah, don't worry about it so much. I think we'll get not too far down the line, and we'll have some inflation again, and the markets won't like it. But does that, I mean, so when you say the market's not going to like it, is that going to be good for the, I mean, I can remember back in the, you know, the, I mean, I was a, just a child back then, too, when, in the 80s. Uh, in fact, uh, maybe kindergarten. Okay, okay, guys, that's enough. Yeah, try again. <laughs> but that, that was runaway inflation. We're not talking about runaway inflation. But, you know, the, the consumer, when we hear that, the, is this going to be something even if it's three, three and a half or something like that, is that good for the consumer or not good for the consumer? Consumers like not to have price increases. You know, if, if the price of what I buy, Jim, is going up, the only way I stay even is if my compensation, my salary, my wages go up. And you get in this tug of war um, that, that uh, makes it difficult for people to um, – see the world as it really is. Because inevitably, if the inflation rate is 3%, there's going to be some stuff going up at 6%. Now, back to the 80s when you and I were, you know, babies. Babies, uh, right, right, right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't believe we're going to have anything like that. Remember that was gas lines and, and quadrupling of oil prices and that sort of thing. So I'm not talking about that. I'm said instead of zero to two, maybe it's two to three or four. Um, but that's an uptick. And uh, I think that will cause people to say, gee, I've got to find a new way to live life, a new way to think about my, uh, my, my spending patterns, a new way to think about how I invest. Oh, that's a great point. There's a whole generation of people have no clue anything higher than 2% would have been is, is, is very different from their lifestyle and their thought. So a that's new right. way of thinking, that's a great point. When we finish up and you think about corporate profits and you think about corporate growth and this idea behind balance sheets that are, that are very flush with cash, what do you see second, third, or third, fourth quarter? What do you see for all of next year? So I think what we see is an economy that's strong, 
but slowing from unsustainable growth rates that will peak in the second quarter. And what that means for markets, Jim, is most likely the easy money has been made in the rearview mirror. I guess that's easy for me to say when stocks are up 90% in, in a little more than a year. Uh, we don't get that very often. That doesn't mean you should go out and sell everything. It just means it's get a little harder. Instead of two steps forward, a half a step back, two steps forward, a half step back, it's going to be two steps forward, one step back, occasionally two steps forward, two steps back. So uh, got to care a lot more about about what you own. I think stocks will still be bonds because interest rates will slowly creep higher out the curve and eventually the Fed will raise rates. So uh, a reasonably but not as friendly environment for the markets. It's hard with an economy and earnings growth as good as it's been to see a significant downdraft in stocks. Pullbacks, corrections, they can happen at any time. Well, that's uh, great advice. Always great to have you on the program, sir. It's uh, just a pleasure to talk to you. I'd like to have you back maybe in a couple of weeks or maybe a month and get your uptick, especially as we begin to see this summer begin to go back to normalities, as you talked about travel and uh, school resuming in the fall. Uh, So just expect a call. We appreciate you, sir. My pleasure, Dr. Shoemaker. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, man. Thanks so much. Oh, it's good to have Bob on the phone. You know, the key is, I mean, he gives us insight into what's going on, and he helps us see that. And so, Scott, welcome to the program, sir. Great to be here, Jim. All right, Scott, with all that information you just got from the man. Wow. Okay. All right. Now you know, is it a good time to retire? And the question that came into us, and if you've got a question for us, send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. That's all it takes, talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com com, and we will get the question on the air. And the question, Bob, is uh, giving us some good insight. Now, Scott, you've got to answer the question. I should have gotten Bob to answer the question. What do you think? Wait man? a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't get the title oh, doctor. No, I, get no, that. No, don't. I get that. I'll go Dr. Scott. There you go. <laughs> but, Scott, here's the thought. I mean, I understand the question. I really understood this question. So many times when you get to this point, as Bob talked about, the fact that a lot of people are retiring, the fear of not knowing what to do. So how do you answer the question, how much is enough for retirement? Well, the the answer is it depends, right? And this is, we get this question a lot. You and I work with a lot of people that are either retired or transitioning into retirement. And, and kind of when they're getting to that point, what they're wanting to know is, do I have enough? How much is enough? What, what even, how much is enough? Will it always be enough? And so, you know, we're trying to help them get some clarity around that and answer those questions. And there's a, you know, at this time, there's also a lot of other complex decisions going on. You mentioned fear. Fear can cause bad decisions. So, you know, we really have to help people think through this question. How much is enough for retirement? And it's different for everybody. It's not the same for every person. So we we start that process really by trying to figure out, okay, what is that lifestyle spending need? And that is a little more difficult for some people to come to than you might realize. Well, all right. So when I make that decision, so if you talk about fear and you go through that process, it how do I start? Give me the first phase of just starting when I get you know when I go through that. Trying to figure out that lifestyle spending. You know, if you're young and you're in retirement's a long way off, we're having to make some assumptions about that. We use figures somewhere around seventy to seventy five percent of pre-retirement income of course that has to be adjusted for inflation and we're always pretty conservative on inflation we've been using higher inflation numbers for a while you just heard bob talk about the the era of the zero to two percent 
inflation may be ending somewhat. So we've been predicting that for a while, or, or not necessarily predicting it, but we, as a safety measure, use a higher inflation rate. So when you're younger, kind of using those assumptions, that's a good target to start with. But as we work with people when they're getting ready to make that transition, now life's a little closer to what it's going to be when you retire. So you start thinking about what am I retiring to? What am I going to do? What is that going to cost? And really sitting down, estimating those living expenses. We always encourage people to record what actually happens for several months. Hopefully we have a full year of that to really look at, okay, what's that spending need? What am I going to need in retirement? Well, that's what I want to come back when we do, because I know there's some challenges when we talk about estimating this lifestyle spending need. And I want to talk about those challenges. If you just tuned in, I'm talking with Scott Jordan. We're talking about the question, how much is enough for retirement? And that's uh, a question a lot of people ask, and we're going to continue to answer that when we come back. Of course, this is uh, Talk Money. It's uh, KWAM AM 990 and FM 107.9. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and of course, I want to make sure you stay with us because we're going to stay answering your questions. This is Jim Shoemaker. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Bob Dahl or Crossmark Global Investments, nor the Career Transition Ministry. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. My guest is Scott Jordan. We're answering your question, how much is enough for retirement? That's a, man, that's a tough question, especially, and you know, I think, Scott, when we get into that question, so many people... You know, it's like uh, they want to ask it, and then it's that creeping fear that they don't have enough or they're going to outlive that amount of retirement dollars that they've set aside. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, we were talking about that and and kind of the first step as we're sitting down with somebody to help them figure out that very difficult question of how much enough. It's, It's really determined that lifestyle spending need, and we talked about you know, for the younger person, maybe you're, you're using some estimates, 70 to 75 percent of income. But when you're getting close to retirement, it's really sitting down, putting pen to paper and really recording those actual expenses that you spend. Uh, we like for people to have a year to do that so we can reflect on what that actual spending need is, record what actually happened you know, create a spending plan and and determine, and most people understand that best on a monthly need. We look at that annual need. We break that down to monthly and say, okay, this is how much money I need in retirement every month to live the life I'm accustomed to living. Because most of the people we work with, they want to continue to live in the future like they live today. You've used the analogy several times that you know, you're not going to go from watching a 60-inch flat-screen TV to a, a black-and-white. 14-inch, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, but, you know, I'm shocked sometimes, too, Scott, as we talk about this, that so many people get into the office and they set, we're, we're around the table and we're talking about it, and they're guessing it. They're very they're, much they're guessing. They're guesstimates. And, much guessing. and so it, it, and it's yet, it's the kind of the cornerstone of, of if, you, if you're expecting to need $1,000 a month, and you don't have enough money to produce it, that there has to be adjustments. And, yes. and that's why I think we want to stress, when you answer this question, how much is enough for retirement, you have to first start with how much money do you expect to be spending right. during retirement? And that's a, tough, that's a tough number to come to for a lot of people. If you're not the type of person that, that creates a very detailed monthly budget or, 
or sits down and plans out your spending, it can be difficult to come up with that number. We spend a lot of time with people zeroing in on that and figuring out what that number is. You know, you, you mentioned lifestyle, and you mentioned the 65-inch or 60-inch yeah. color, tele, you know, flat screen and the 14-inch black and white. The reality is nobody wants to retire and step back. Right. They want to. That right. First, you talk about the kind of the first five to ten years yeah. is those travel kind years. Of those go-go years. We're yeah, going to go, go do. Yeah. yeah. And when their health is good. Sure. And, and some retire at 65, some wait till 70, whatever yeah. they retire. But the point is, that's when they want to know. And when we plan with them, it's that, what is what are you expecting what are to you doing? do? What are you going to do and how much is that going to cost? Because, again, you think about, you know, when do you spend more money? Is it is it during the week while you're at work or is it on the weekends? Well, all of a sudden, every day is Saturday. And that can be expensive if you're wanting to go and do a lot, and that's fine. You just have to plan for that. We talk about the three-legged stool. I think our listeners need to have you to explain <laughs> sure. the three-legged stool because it is kind of the the building block that is so critical when we talk about what monies are available and making sure that everybody understands what those dollars really are. Absolutely. So once you've determined what that monthly need is, then it's looking for, okay, where is that money going to come from? And we, we've always called that the three-legged stool. The three-legged stool refers to Social Security, pension income, and then personal savings and investments. Now, we all know that one of those legs of the stool is almost pretty much broken off for most people. The pensions, not many people have those anymore. We've gone from defined benefit plans, the old pension plans of the past, to the 401k plans that most people have today. So it's it's now really a two-legged stool. It's that Social Security and personal investments and savings. And some may argue that Social Security legs wobbling a little bit, but we do we do expect that to be around in in some way, shape, or form. So, again, you've got that spending need now. Okay, what are my guaranteed sources of income? So I got Social Security coming in. Maybe maybe I'm going to work part time for a little bit in retirement. Um, maybe there's some pension income there. And then you you say, okay, this is what I need. This is what I have coming in on a monthly basis from these other sources, and the rest of that has to come from those personal savings and investments. And so there's a lot of ways to figure out how much it's going to take to produce that income. Uh, one of the, you know, the popularized in the 90s by a guy named William Bingen was this kind of safe withdrawal rate. And he did a lot of research on this. And, and uh, Dr. Wade Fowler has written a lot about this in his most recent book. And, and that's where you hear, you may have heard of that 4% rule. You know, I've got this pile of money. I can safely withdraw about 4% off of that. And that's surprising to a lot of people because people will say, well, wait a minute, the market has averaged, you know, 7 8% in a diversified multi-asset portfolio. Shouldn't I be able to pull out 7 or 8%? Well, that's where that sequence of returns comes in. And that's where people need to be extremely conservative and conservative and because this money needs – we used to think about money for retirement lasting maybe 5, 10 years. Now, a person retiring at 65, we need to think of 25 to 30 years. At least, yeah. And that's the starting point from that standpoint. You have to play the long game. You have to plan to live a long time. Well, what about savings accounts? What about, you know, spending for, you know, house repairs, new car, those type things? We need to make sure that that's a part of that lifestyle living expenses. Absolutely. And that's one of those things that's really hard to predict. But as we're, we're planning and modeling out retirement income for people, we do a lot of what-if scenarios. You know, one of them, you just mentioned home repairs. You have to think about that. If I'm going to live, you know, potentially 25 to 30 years in retirement, I'm probably going to have to do some home modifications or remodels. So we have to plan for that. What about cars? You know, we're going to have to replace cars down the road. Long-term care and health care cost is a big one. 
that is that is hard to predict. You can look at some averages according to, you know, some of the numbers out there. Uh, a person can expect to rent, spend somewhere around three hundred and fifty thousand dollars on health care during retirement. That's a big number, a really big number. And then you throw the long term care situation into that, and that can cost anywhere from you know fifty to sixty to even eighty thousand dollars a year for a private room. So those are. Those are real things that you have to plan for in addition for those just regular monthly expenses. And you're throwing a blanket over just a lot of what ifs that happens, sure. what of changes and things like that. I know a lot of plans, especially the, the defined contribution 401k plans, have a calculator. Yes. People have to understand that calculator only says X number of dollars and it calculates what it right. needs to be there. It's really not doing the what ifs, the health care costs, the home repairs, the trips, all those things. That's the difficult part of any type of plan that needs a counselor. And I, and I think another thing I would say about that is any, any calculator you're using, including the ones that we use, you're making a lot of assumptions about a lot of things. Uh, one being, how much am I going to return on my investments? What's that rate of return going to be every year? That's an assumption. How long am I going to live? That's and, and an assumption. And you talk about being very conservative. There. Very conservative. And I think I've seen a lot of 401 calculators that, in my opinion, use too high of a rate of return on the assets to when they're predicting how much income you can take off of that. It's just a matter of knowing what those assumptions are and are those realistic. You know, Bob mentioned that I want to talk about what he said, and I think the reality is he says the third and the fourth quarter, okay, next year, good. We kind of get lulled into this mindset that the market's been 90%, he said, since March of last year. You know, and he said, you know, if you look in the hindsight, look at the rearview mirror, how good could it have been? Well, that was about as good as it could be. And he says two steps forward, maybe a half a step back. Now maybe it's two steps forward and maybe two steps back. Reality, he's talking about volatility. Yes. And retirement slash volatility. What do you see? Well, again, most people need to have access to those risk assets in order to hit those retirement goals. And that means you're going to have to ride through those volatile times, those times of uncertainty. And, and when you talk about a 30-year period in retirement, you're going to go through several of those. So understanding that that's part of the plan, that you're going to, you, you need to expect that and stick with the plan. Understand that you're playing the long game. This is a long-term proposition. We don't get caught up in short-term noise and fear and know that we're going to need that growth in order to hit those goals. And that means just sometimes staying the course during those very, very uncertain times. Staying the course and very, and you use two varies. It gets hard. It gets hard. You know, we say that a lot, you know, stay the course. Well, when you're living through that and that's your nest egg, you know, you're looking at your net worth, you've seen it drop significantly. Think about last March when the market dropped 34% and you're, you're in retirement and now your million dollar account is worth what 650 all of a sudden and that can be very trying to go through and and stay the course the 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 natural human reaction is to do something and, and stop the pain right let me let me get out of this situation and that but, is so easy to say yes but difficult to do yeah. if you'd like to talk to Scott telephone number 7575757 how much is enough for retirement you know, that's a question that I think everybody asks when it gets close. As Scott said, it starts when you're earlier. You kind of get a little conversation about it. But as you get to the approaching that real number, it becomes a paragraph or even a book you want to talk about. How much is your life spending need? What do you? How do you look at the problems? How do you throw in those areas of health care needs and cost and all that? That's all part of the plan. And sometimes volatility can make you want to change your plan 
Scott said, stay the course. How much is enough for retirement? A question I hope we've answered, giving you some great insight. Thanks, Scott. Great insight for what you've done. Helped us out. 757-5757 if you'd like to talk to Scott. Coming up, when I get when we come back after this short message pro break, we got a, a guy that's going to help you think about this whole thought of the great wreck. Resignation. I couldn't only really say it all of a sudden. The great resignation. The reality is we got a huge, huge amount of job changes going to take place. Some great statistics. My guest will be Richard Redmond. You don't want to miss it. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM, the mighty 990 AFM 107.9. My guest coming up, Richard Redmond from Career Transition Ministry. We're going to talk about the great resignation. But first, I got to read you something from Market Insider. I've been holding this the entire program, and I just got to tell it to you. We get questions about Bitcoin all the time, and, and, you know, we talk about it. We kind of have an opinion about it, and we'll be glad to answer the question about it if you want to send us one. Anytime you got a question for the program, just simply go to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com, and we'll be glad to answer your questions. But here's something I think you need to know. An estimated $140 billion with a B, that's billion, worth of Bitcoin holdings cannot be accessed because the owner's have forgotten their passwords or their digital keys. $140 billion. i got to ask Claire how much she's got. And, you know, is it, she wouldn't forget her. I don't think she'd forget her. You know, she's a smart person, so that's the producer of the program. She, <laughs> uh, she's remembered her password. So yes. she's over there <laughs> looking at me going, how much Bitcoin do I have? You know, <laughs> that's it. Oh, she says zero. All right, Richard, do you have any Bitcoin? I have absolutely none. No, none. Okay, I should have asked you that question. Welcome to the program, Richard Redmont from Career Transition Ministry. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank, thank you very much. Glad All to be right, here. Let me, you know, I want to ask you this question, the whole idea behind this great resignation, and you actually referred to it when we were talking about earlier, the great shift. Tell me about it. There's a, a great shift going on in the country right now. And in April, there were 4 million uh, people who resigned from their jobs. According to Monster.com, uh, in one survey, 95% of Americans are considering making a job change. That's 41% globally. And they're changing for a lot of different reasons. Uh, a lot of it is work-life, work-life balance. So we had this world pre-COVID where they were flying over all over the country working. Now they've been working from home, doing Zoom meetings. And all of a sudden they noticed along the way that now they're able to attend Little Johnny or Little Susie's recital or sports program. Now we're 15, 18 months past. Now it's time employers are saying, come back to the office. We want you to go back to that lifestyle. Maybe they weren't really happy with their jobs before. And now that they've thought about it, now they're like, I want to do something totally different. So when you say totally different, I mean, that is a, an enormous thought process for, I mean, if you're saying, 90, Munster says 90% of the workforce. Will consider it. Will consider a job change transitioning to something different? It could be the same job, but do it differently. So Forbes had, uh, Forbes had a s- stat that said that uh, freelancers are projected by 2027 that 50% up 
up more than 50% of workers by 2027 would be freelancers. So for our listening audience, let's make sure everybody understands what a freelancer is. Uh, you know. They'll become self-employed in essence. So they'll go work on a project basis. And so that creates for the employer, I mean, for the employee, it sounds, it sounds great. I'm working for this company. I've got this quality of life now. Now I want to just go do this on my own. I still want to do the Zoom meetings. Um, I'll just work on this project for somebody that will allow me to do it. The only thing is they don't, they don't consider the things like, can they sell enough projects for themselves? Mm. themselves? How are they going to brand it? Can they make the tax calculations? Do they understand self-employment tax? Do they understand uh, the billing and collections, cash flow? Um, you know, they're, they're so used to getting that paycheck every two weeks or twice a month. Now it's they're, they're at the mercy of the company that's, that they're contracting with. If they slow down and they have cash flow delays, that impacts their family. Your background is accounting. So you went through all of that just as a natural part of your vocabulary, your mindset, your thinking. But to the average person who is not thought that way, that can be very difficult. Absolutely, again. And that's going to be something that they've got to think through. I know Scott stayed with us on this program. Scott, you actually, we talked about this also being a problem in 2020. Uh, we didn't call it the Great Resignation back right. then, but there was this huge employee kind of mindset of, I've got an opportunity. This is what I want to do. I'm not going to do that. And that happened. You actually have a personal experience of someone that you knew that went through that transition. Yeah, I, I was I was talking to you earlier about uh, one of my family members who had, you know, worked for a company for his, his entire life and decided to go into business for himself consulting or being a free, freelancer, as, as Richard was talking about. And then you know, coming to the realization that it's very different when you go from I get a paycheck every pay period to all of a sudden I may have these great jobs that pay well, but it may take me three, five months to complete the job and I don't get paid until I'm done with it. So it was a very much lifestyle adjustment for for them to go through to to go through that experience and go, oh, wow. I'm not getting paid every week. You know, I've, I've got to worry about cash flow now, where that cash is going to come from. Now, they're doing much better now, but, you know, of course, couldn't have timed that worse. 2020 hit, business slowed down, and all of a sudden money's not coming in. So it's very difficult. Can be. Can be. For sure it can be. Now, let's talk about this idea of people not going back. I read an article recently and in the journal, and it was, it was one that I thought was kind of um, jumped off the page at me because it said – Office politics would play a part of people coming back to work. In your transitioning ministry, you talk about that office politics, the idea of who do you know and how do you position yourself. Do you see office politics? I mean, here we are. Let's say my office is next to yours and Scott's down the hall and, you know, and Scott's the boss. And uh, no, let's think of Let's change that. Let's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that didn't quite come out right. <laughs> No, but I mean, the reality, Scott's a boss, and you and I are, are wanting to be seen by Scott. We're just walking by his office and waving is being seen by Scott. If I'm sitting at home and, uh, you know, got a Zoom meeting at 2, I'll be seen, but he won't even think about You see what I'm saying? Doesn't office politics play a part of people coming back to work? Uh, absolutely. And um, not only that politics, but how quickly employers are requiring people to come back. Yeah. Because everybody has a different 
dealing with safety or what they how they view or are they ready to come back right and uh, i saw one in one article mark cuban was quoted as saying employers better be very very careful about rushing that too much or they will increase this great resignation great resignation all right let's talk about career transition ministries the whole idea behind what's going on there help me understand what's the purpose of career transition ministries in which you're a leader Career Transition Ministry has been around 30, 40 years. It's it's here to help people. They find themselves out of work. They don't know what to do. They haven't had a resume done. They don't know how to network. Um, they don't know how to sell. And normally what I tell people the first thing when they come is, congratulations, you're in sales. Mm. Whether, whether you're a receptionist, IT, engineer, accountant, doesn't matter. You're in sales and you're the product or service. And a lot of people don't know how to market that. They don't know the simple things of sales, of call reluctance, which is the inability to pick up the phone, uh, to meet with enough people. Um, they maybe don't have the contacts because they've been in a role where they've just been at their office and they, they crunch their work at their, uh, at their desk every day, but they're, out not ne- they're not out networking. So this transition, when you think about it now, that you say, well, I've kind of gotten control of my life. I don't want to go back to traveling. I don't want to go back to this type work, so I want to move. But just knowing how to do that can be difficult. So the ministry, Career Transition Ministry, brings a group of people together. You talk about they're in sales. they got to sell themselves. But tell us about the people that come together to put that into place. Uh, the people that are in it are a group of uh, veterans, a lot of uh retirees, uh, people in their 50s, uh, 60s, and 70s that have uh, worked a lot and also have a lot of contacts and can help people uh, network and get in front of people. And now now our ministry is going to have to shift on the fly with this uh, great resignation as well, because now when these people are going to have to sell projects, we're going to have to help them network to try to help them sell those projects as well. So the key is HR professionals, you've got HR professionals, you've got coaches, you've got recruiters helping them. It's just understanding the process. Understanding the process, follow the process. The people who follow the process have much success, and they have for 30 years. All right, that makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. So if you just tuned in, we're talking. Richard Redmond, he's talking about the great resignation, but career transition Ministries. You can reach him at 757-5757 if you just want to know about how to put it together. And Richard, it's a difficult thing to do, and they need they need the coaching. Yeah, absolutely. We've had people come in that are crying on the first day, and then they're happy as a lark once they find that job. Well, thank you, Richard. I appreciate it, man. Great comments. Career Transition Ministries. You've been listening to KWAM, the mighty 990 FM 107.9 and AM 990. I want to thank my guest, Bob Dahl, who did a great job with Crossmark Global Investments. Scott Jordan, Richard Redmont, you can reach those guys at 757-5757. And we talked about, do you have enough for retirement and career transitioning? That's two great subjects. Thanks, guys. Next week, update with health care. Don't want to miss that with Shannon Dyson. And also, what is risk management? You don't want to miss that part. I tell you what, risk management is so important. That's Wednesday at 9 a.m. and again on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. right here on KWAM, the mighty 990. If you have questions, send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. I want to thank everybody for listening. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. 
Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Richard Redmond are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.